1: caring about people so much that you'd walk with them through some really challenging times and if you're facing that just really encourage you or if you're not facing that um, but would like to uh, learn how to better come alongside people who are i really encourage you to connect with them out the doors to your right as you leave Uh, my name is jeremy i'm senior pastor here and we're excited to open the book of james this morning so would you please open your bibles to the book of james a couple of things as we get going. Um, first, thanks for making it out on a snowy winter day. Winter is here, and it is gorgeous outside. I love it. Um, it's kind of fun to drive in sometimes, but I'm thankful for the safety on the roads. Um, kids, uh, we have new sermon notes for you, slightly revised. Uh, they look like this. And so if you don't have one, with your parents' permission, you may quietly get up and go back to the back and grab one. And there's a couple of things that we're asking you to do this morning. The first is... Um, You could draw a message or draw a picture of what the message is about. And here's what I want you to draw. Draw a picture of a trial that you have experienced in your life. We're going to continue our conversation about trials this morning. Um, The second thing that I invite you to do uh, is on the front side, it says, you know, name, age. We love that. We love to know who, who is doing the artwork. Prayer requests. If you have a prayer request, we'd love to get those and to pray for you. Uh, and then uh, today's verse, in your bulletin you'll find the verse Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. If you have a Bible nearby you, um, kids, you can pull that out and you can just write down that verse. And one of the things that does is it helps seal it in your mind. When you write something, it becomes tactile and something that can can better take root inside your heart. And so that, that verse, uh, which actually, towards the end of my message last week, I, I I said, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lead not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will direct your path. That's, that's your verse that you can write down as you listen. And so everyone else, your Bibles are open. We are going to be in James chapter 2. A couple of words before we get going. Um, the, the first is this. Um, last week, we, we looked at the purpose of trials. You may remember our, our trusty weight bench up here and our trusty barbell all right? Trials. Um, trials have a distinct purpose in the life of a believer. James says they are, they are made to, uh, or, or that we experience trials that brings us endurance in our life, and they result in us becoming mature and complete, lacking in nothing. And trial is this. The trial is this. It's anything that, re, that is um, a difficulty in life that might threaten our faithfulness to God, that might cause us to say, God, I'd rather trust that than trust you that's a trial. Um, the way I expressed it last week is as a trial is anything that causes your muscle of faith to move. Because one of the things about building muscle is sometimes it, it, it gets stretched and it gets torn down, but it, it serves to make it stronger. Trials give us an opportunity to learn the nature or character of something. Um, and this, this type of trial, this type of test, is, is not intended to break us, but to refine us so that we can be So that we can become stronger Um, It gives us, in other words Real life opportunities to say God, you are all I need In this moment You are all I need in this moment And so why do we talk about trials Why does James talk about trials One of the reasons is because we all Experience them If you haven't experienced a trial in your life You will If you're in the midst of one now You'll probably experience another one at some point in time Trials are something that each one of us experiences, and God wants to prepare us so that we know how to act when they come, because in the midst of trials, we have an opportunity, and that opportunity is, is to see God's provision in the midst of otherwise difficult circumstances. Now, uh, we spend numerous hours worried about our lives. You know, trials come in all shapes and sizes—money, business, health, purpose, meaning in life— and one question I want you to think about is this. What if we were to spend the hours that our minds become concerned about other things and have them concerned about God? What, what if God's reputation was our highest aim is another question. What, what if our trials became opportunities to see God work on our behalf? What would it look like if we became single-minded in saying, God, I want to know you? God, I want to have a deeper relationship with you. God, I want to experience what it means to say Christ is all I need. When I was, um, when I was in undergraduate school at Cedarville, Cedarville University, one of the songs that we would sing on, on chapel days, we had chapel every day at 10 o'clock, uh, but usually when the, the university president would speak at, uh, on Monday chapel, we would often sing a song and it went like this. <clears throat> Excuse me. Christ is all I
0: need. Christ is all I need. All, all I need. Christ is all I need. Christ is all I need. All, all I
1: need. It's a simple truth but it's one that if we internalize it and we take it as a part of our life, it can drastically reform and change the way we look at trials in our lives. So, James chapter one, there is your introduction. Would you please stand with me for the reading of the scripture? I'm gonna read the whole section even though we studied part of this last week, beginning in verse two. James says, Consider it great joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. But endurance must do its complete work so that you may be mature and complete, lacking in nothing. Now, if any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God, who gives generously to all and without criticizing, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith, without doubting, for the doubter is like the surging sea, driven and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. An indecisive man is unstable in all his ways. The brother of humble circumstances should boast in his exaltation, but the one who is rich should boast in his humiliation, because he will pass away like a flower of the field. For the sun rises with with its scorching heat, dries up the grass, its flower falls off, and its beautiful appearance is destroyed. In the same way, the rich man will wither away while pursuing his activities." A man who endures trials is blessed, because when he passes the test, he will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. No one undergoing a trial should say, I'm being tempted by God, for God is not tempted by evil, and he himself doesn't tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when he is drawn away and enticed by his own evil desires. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and when sin is fully grown, it gives birth to death. Don't be deceived, my dearly loved brothers. Every generous act and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights. Without him, there was no variation or shadow cast by turning. By his own choice, he gave us a new birth by the message of truth so that we might be first fruits of his creatures. Let's pray. God, we are thankful for your word. We, thankful, we are thankful for how it instructs us in right living, God, we are thankful for your spirit who leads and guides us into truth. And I pray this morning, God, I pray this morning that we would hear from you. Lord, each of us has a, um, an area in our life in which we struggle to trust. And God, by your grace, may our refrain, may our stance be, Christ is all that we need. We bless you, Lord God, King of the universe. You are sovereign over all. You are good. You are faithful. And we pray this in the name of Jesus, our Messiah, our Redeemer, the one who brings life and meaning and purpose to us. Amen. Please be seated. All right, so we're going to break this up into essentially five different sections just for the sake of of time and and structure. And I have corresponding visuals to each section. So the first one we're going to talk about is verses five through eight. Verses five through eight deal with something called wisdom. He says, um, if any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God who gives graciously to all without finding fault. And it says, it will be given to him. Wisdom in this context, is not just general wisdom. It it, it refers to wisdom that is encountered and given in the midst of a trial. So, you know, you might pray for, for wisdom, and that's good. Pray for that. But the type of wisdom James is talking about is when you're facing a trial, you have no idea why the thing that is happening to you is happening. He says, you can ask God, and God will show you. That God will reveal to you. But when you ask, you don't ask like a person who doubts. Because if you doubt, it's like you're being tossed to and fro. It's like the wind on a sailboat. Any sailors in the room? Okay, not many. Okay, so if you're sailing and the wind takes you this way, you have to course correct. Sometimes you have to tack in order to go a different direction. But, but if you just start kind of spinning around and you're not in control of what is going on being a sailor, you become one who is driven and tossed by the wind. You say, oh, I think that's it. Oh, I think that's it. I think that's it. James is saying, if you ask me for wisdom, wisdom to know why you're experiencing the trial, wisdom to know what to do in the trial, I will answer. Now, here's the other thing about wisdom, though. Sometimes we feel as though God will answer us right then and there. Sometimes having wisdom for a trial, knowing its purpose or its intent, Sometimes that's something that takes a longer form of time to fully understand. Um, We're studying, in the second hour, um, the the, um, story of Joseph. And one of the things we talked about last week, after last week's message, was Joseph is kind of the, 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 the poster boy for someone who experiences trials. right, he's the favored son of his dad. He's sold off into slavery by his brothers. He becomes a servant, a slave of Potiphar, captain of the guard, and he gets thrown into a dungeon because he's accused of some things he didn't do. And time after time after time, his life is like, really, now? (laughs) Now we're going to the pit. Now we're going to the pit again. But at the end of all of it, years upon years upon years, he says this, He says, to his brothers who had sold him into slavery, he says, what you intended for evil, God intended for good. A lot of trials in his life, I would imagine, did not make sense to Joseph at that time. But in time, God gave him wisdom to know their purpose and their intent. Trials introduce moments where we must learn to trust. And because trusting can be really difficult, God says, pray, ask me for wisdom. Many, many um, of us look to various places for wisdom, though. Um, Proverbs 9 says this. It says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. Now, to fear the Lord doesn't mean necessarily to be afraid. It means to revere or to be in awe. Naturally, you know, God being who he is in his nature and character, we would be afraid as well, to, to some extent. But but it means to revere God. It means to submit to him and to walk in relationship with him. All wisdom comes from going to God and saying, God, I want to know you better. But one of the things we do is, is we begin to look in various books, various life circumstances to say, oh, this will give me wisdom. We go to... Um, you know, throughout history, people have gone to uh, various places that, that do like tarot card readings and all that kind of stuff, trying to find out, well, what what do I need to know about this? And God says, come to me. I'm the author of wisdom. You might look to all these books, but there's really only one book that you need to look to. That's my word. I will lead and I will guide you in all wisdom, God says. Trust me. One scholar says this, He says, what the alphabet is to reading, notes to reading music, and numerals to mathematics, the fear of the Lord is to attaining the revealed knowledge of this book. The New Testament consistently calls disciples to have a life that's patterned to follow Jesus no matter what, no matter where. And James tells his hearers, when you lack wisdom, come to God and ask him. Come to God with with, with an open heart, saying, God, I don't know what else to do in this situation. I don't fully understand it, but Christ, you are all I need. Wisdom, James talks about. The second one is wealth. You like my pink? Um, One, two, is one through 10. This is the piggy bank we had at home. It takes really, really big coins, and it makes uh, various noises, though I think I have that deactivated right now. Um, Wealth. One of the areas that can become a trial for many of us in life is wealth. And one of the reasons wealth becomes a trial is is because wealth is something we use to further um, our goals and our agendas here on earth. Now, the Bible consistently talks about how wealth is not necessarily bad, but it's a love of money that is bad. We can have a perspective in our life where we say, oh, I'm facing a trial. Oh, I have cash. I can just pay for that. And what happens when we do that? is um, we have this mindset that God is not sufficient to meet my needs, I must meet my own needs. Now, sometimes God does meet our needs by giving us jobs, by giving us resources in which to then move those resources back out. But as I was reading in Hebrews this week, and it says, do not love money. It's like very blatant and to your your face. Because a lot of us look at Um, the trial of wealth, whether it's having too much or whether it's having not enough, and we say, how can I get more and more and more? And wealth becomes a God for many of us. I'm not advocating that we act irresponsibly with wealth. I am saying, though, in our pursuit of wealth, do we pursue God first? In our pursuit of resources, and it's not just money, the list goes on and on of the resources and stuff that we have in life. When you pursue resources, is God first in your life before those resources? James talks about, in verse 11, he uses this beautiful image of the sun rising with his scorching heat, dries up the, the, the plant, the flower falls off, the beautiful appearance is destroyed. In the same way, the rich man will wither away while pursuing his activities. His point is this. Someday, this is gonna mean absolutely nothing. What does it mean to you today? Do you trust wealth and resources or do you simply say to God, Christ is all I need? Now, he goes in verse 12 to talking about trials. So we have our trusty weight bench back here. That will be for for this visual. Trials, he says, a man who endures trials is blessed because when he passes the test, he will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. I think he's picking up A little bit on Jesus' words. Jesus, in the Sermon on the Mount, he says, blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven. The man who endures trials, whatever those trials might be, he's blessed. That's part of the beatitude section. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Blessing comes to those who have a mindset and who have a heart to say, Christ, you are all I need. And the end of this is that when he passes the test, he will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. You come through trials. Our hope is not one that is just confined to the here and to the now. The here and the now certainly matters. But it's not limited to that because God is an eternal God and God has a a plan and a future for us to dwell with him. And so what what matters is, is both this world but how this world goes into the next world. So how do we... Look at trials. Well, maintain an eternal perspective on life. If we worry about today alone, we will forget the perspective of the one whom we are called to revere, to obey, and to worship. How do we face trials? Christ is all I need. In the midst of faith-building moments, where your muscle's getting stretched, when you're getting tired, when you're getting fatigued, because the trial keeps coming, Christ is all I need. He goes on to another metaphor here, and, and he kind of switches gears a little bit. Uh, up until this point, he's talking about um, the idea of trials, or in a certain way. Um, I, I told you last week, it's the same Greek word. It's a Greek word, perosmos, but it means two different things, and what determines its meaning is its context, and the context shifts, and In verse 13 he says no one undergoing a trial should say i'm being tempted by god uh, for god is not tempted by evil and he himself tempts no one and so james is building this imagery this picture here of temptation temptation is different than a trial a trial is something that 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 can occur to us and we really have very little um uh personal like, like it happens we go through things. We can't control them. They happen. The difference between a trial and temptation, and yes, there is a hook, and no, I will not fling this over you all. Um, the difference between a trial and temptation is this. Um, a, a trial is something difficult that causes us to, to exercise our faith muscle, for, for us to say, God, I need you in this. A temptation is something that comes our way that, that might motivate us to sin, And he uses an image here, um, and the image is one of fishing. Uh, This metaphorical language here is one of fishing. And he's talking about God's will versus our desires and our lusts. And he says um, that temptation arises when a person is dragged away and enticed by his own evil desire. Now, when you fish... My brother in laws is in, in Alaska. He, he lives there, and he, uh, he was ice fishing yesterday. Why you would do that, I still don't understand, but that's okay. Uh, he loves to ice fish, and while my wife is on the phone with him, apparently he didn't catch anything, but he could see stuff down there. But see, when you, when you go to fish, you throw out your line, yes, and, um, and you hope that that fish sees something on the end that would entice them. And you hope that in the process of that, there we go, you hope that in the process of that, it would entice them so much that they would take a hold of this worm or whatever bait you're using. And he says it's, it's like that with temptation. God does not tempt you to sin. Rather, temptation comes when you look at something or when something comes in front of you and you say, oh, I want that. And it becomes a, a fleshly desire, not a godly desire. It's something that, that can take its, uh, its way and shape in many forms, but it's something that comes out in front of you. It's not given by God. It's actually against what God would have you do, but you look at it, and because we have a, a flesh in us, because even though we may be in Christ, we have an old man who has experienced um, various pleasures and various um, things in our past, our flesh goes, I want that. And it's the constant teaching of God, you are all I need, that goes against the temptations that come our way. See, when we, when we bite down on something, you might taste that worm, if you're a fish, but pretty soon you find out you're hooked, and you're reeled in, and you're reeled in, and you're reeled in, and the only way out of being hooked is to go to God and say, God, I have sinned. God, I need your grace. God, I need to walk in a different way. But even after God takes the hook out of your mouth, your mouth might still hurt for a while. We are easily hooked by selfish motives and desires, and apart from the work of Christ, these desires result in death, the scripture says. We, we cannot blame God for our sin. Our choice to pursue our own pleasure instead of God is our own doing." And y'all know what I'm talking about because we all do it. So, how do we face temptation? One of the ways we face temptation is we cut it off at the beginning. We don't allow desire um, to become, what's the order here? We don't allow temptation to draw us away. We see temptation, we say, No, Christ is all I need. If it moves to temptation, we come to desire, which is conceived some point there, we say, no, God, Christ is all I need. We seek to find our fulfillment in Christ rather than the temptations and the bait that comes in front of us. All right? So there's um, some, some talking about trials and temptations. Notice too, it says that God is not tempted by evil and he himself tempts no one. The reason God is not tempted by evil and God himself tempts no one is because God in and of himself is perfectly holy. He, he is that which is completely contrary to sin. Now, the scripture does say that Jesus was, was, was tempted. Every time when Jesus was tempted, he responded with words of the scripture. Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy. How should we fight temptation? A couple of ways. The first way is the word of God. The word of God is our anchor. It is our um, guide because in it, God reveals his word to us. But the second is this. We have to rely upon God's spirit to face temptations. Because in and of ourselves, we we can be weak people sometimes. Sometimes. We say, God, I need your help to do what is right in this situation, and God will meet you there. Ask the Holy Spirit to guide you and help you into truth. Have a life that consistently seeks to abide in Christ so that you have a relationship that's dynamic with God, not one that is um, dysfunctional or static. Be, Be a person who practices putting on the armor of God Truth, righteousness, peace, faith, salvation, and the sword of God's word. So, that is verses 13 through 15. We come to the last section. Don't be deceived, my dearly, my dearly loved brothers. Every generous act and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights. Without him there is no variation or shadow of turning. The phrase I want to focus on in this one is good gifts. All right, uh, every generous act and every perfect gift. Yours might say every good gift. Uh, good gifts. H- have you ever um, received a gift at Christmas, opened it up, and thought that is the absolute worst gift ever? Maybe some of you have. Maybe even in the midst of that, you're still thankful. Uh, Sometimes grandmothers and grandfathers, as they age, can send you very outsized sweaters and pajamas and socks and all this kind of stuff, or give you lotion or something like that when you weren't expecting it. Um, Gifts, though, are are just that. There's something that is given to you. It, it, it's, a, it's an act of grace, it's an act of kindness, it's an act of uh, charity is maybe not the best word, but but, but it's, a, it's an act that someone says, I want to give you this because I care about you. Now, it says every good and perfect gift comes from God. But a lot of times when we look at the gifts that we receive, we make judgments on them. We might say, ooh, that wasn't as good as I thought that was, especially when it comes to, trials. We receive something, we say, ah, God, why did you give me that again? God, why am I experiencing this again? But James says, every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father of heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. When God gives a gift, it is by definition good, because God in himself is good. Now, One of the things, as we've talked about, is that the purpose of that gift is to make us more holy. And that's sometimes a challenge. Because sometimes we'd rather stay static, and sometimes we'd rather stay comfortable. And yet, God wants us to be mature and complete, lacking in nothing. So how do we approach gifts? Well, recognize that they come from God. Good for us, is often subjective, but God has an eternal perspective. God knows those things that will refine and strengthen our faith so that we will become more like him. God's character is not subject to change like ours often does. God in his very nature is good. We often sing, great is thy faithfulness, O God my Father. There is no shadow of turning with thee. Thou changest not, thy compassions they fail not. As thou hast been, thou forever will be. God is an eternal God. He's, he's one who has a bigger picture in mind than what I often do. That does not mean that this is fun. Sometimes that does not mean that this is easy. There are various gifts uh, that, that come our way um, where we experience God through trials, and we may not have asked for the trial. And, and sometimes the trials we experience in life are things that we did not cause. They're things that God didn't cause. We live in a sinful world. And so, uh, as, as one writer put it, sometimes your neighbor's trash blows onto your yard <laughs> and you have to deal with it. That doesn't make it fun. But in the midst of that, the gift God gives us, the gift God gives us is Himself. The greatest gift that He has ever given to us is Himself. When we think about what God has done for us in Jesus, our response should be worship. Verse nine eighteen says, By his own choice, he gave us a new birth by the message of truth so that we would be the first fruits of his creations. God gives us, God gives us gifts of life even when we experience hard times and trials. So, um, what do we do in the middle of, of all of these experiences of the trials, whether it is um, gifts, whether it is temptation, and that temptation, of course, is something that we often go to, but um, nonetheless, whenever we experience the, um, the, the trials of life, whenever we expen- experience difficulty with regard to finances, whenever we ask wisdom, what should be our response? I want to suggest to you that our default response should be this. Christ is all I need. Because regardless of the situation you find yourself in, needing wisdom, how do I manage this idea of wealth, this general idea of trial, this temptation, this gift, Christ is the only one who can meet us there, who can give us what we need, and who can guide us into all truth. He does this by his Holy Spirit and it is a gift to us. And so I want to say this. In the midst of your trial, I want to encourage you to let this be your prayer. Christ is all I need. This week, I was talking with Jay Raymond, whom we prayed for last week. And many of you have, may have heard, but so they, they, I was talking with Jay this week. And Jay is on the operating table, getting ready for the heart transplant. And the doctor had to call it off because of the, the donor heart wasn't what they needed Um in, in certain ways. Um, and I was talking to Jay, and he is relating the story of the disciples on the Sea of Galilee. They're being tossed and beaten by the wind. And it's in the midst of this swirling, they go to Jesus, and Jesus says, peace be still. And here's what Jay said to me. He said, when you truly trust God, you sleep well. When you truly trust God, you sleep well. I don't know that I will ever perfectly trust God this side of heaven. But I do know that my response should be, Christ is all I need in this situation. I want you to do something. If you have a pen and a paper, I want you to write down a trial you are currently experiencing. Name it. Call it something. What is the trial God has in your life right now? All right? And then repeat this after me. Christ is all I need. Christ is all I need. All right? I sang it for you earlier. I know there's a couple of Cedarville alumni here. I need your help. (laughs) I want to make this a song for us this morning. Christ is all
0: I need. Christ is all I need. All I need. Christ is all I need, Christ is all I need, all I need.
1: Our Father and our King, we are thankful that in the midst of everything we experience in this life, God, you have met us there. You don't leave us as orphans. Rather, you have given us your spirit to lead and to guide, to bring comfort, to bring direction to our lives. And God, I pray that as we experience various trials this week, we would consider them pure joy because we know that the testing of our faith produces endurance, that endurance finishes its work in us so that we might be mature and complete, lacking nothing. And God, I for one sometimes don't want to go through the trials that make me mature and complete. And yet, God, I trust that you are a good giver who gives good gifts to your children. And Jesus, we trust that you are all that we need today. Allow joy to be something in our lives that we experience day in and day out because of the working of your Spirit. God, lead and guide us into all truth, truth of your word, truth um, as we speak to one another. God, may we encourage others. May, May we be people who come alongside and say, you know what, it might be hard, but God is good, and let me pray. Let me remind you of this truth. Let me remind you that in the middle of your storm, you can trust that God is there and that God will give you what you need. We give you these trials in our life, God, holding our hands open in a posture of release but also in a posture of worship, saying, God, you are good and your love endures forever. Your faithfulness continues through all generations. Blessed are you, Lord God, King of the universe, sovereign over all. We bless you and thank you in the name of Jesus. And together, everyone says, Amen. Thank you. Thanks for listening.
0: We hope that what you heard inspires you to take the next step in your faith. If you have questions about this message, or would like more information about our church, we invite you to check us out at fbczealand.org or call us at 616-772-4377.